The Where to Hunt podcast. It's okay. It's okay. Hi, I'm Dan Small, host of Outdoor Wisconsin, and I listen to Where to Hunt. Man, it's okay. I'm Kurt Geyer with Working Class Bow Hunter. I listen to Where to Hunt podcast, and it's decent. It's decent. Uh, it's all right. Hey, this is Bud Fisher with Catching Deers, and I think the Where to Hunt podcast is all right. Hey, what up, everybody? Welcome to the Where to Hunt podcast, the podcast that connects public land hunting enthusiasts, a.k.a also known as the OKS Podcast in the Midwest, coming at you from the OKS Hunter Podcast Studio. So uh, go to OKSHunter.com, <laughs> enter in code W2H Podcast for 10% off, and go get their Shed their shed, shed Shirt. Uh, it's a good shirt. Yeah, the but, Shed Shed Shirt. Yep. If you're a real Shed Hunter, you're going to want that one for sure. Shed Shed Shirt for sure. Say that 10 times fast. You can do it. <laughs> and I'll do one of these. Where's this one at? work in a tree stand or simply waking up it's important to be alert and there's no better way to get there than with backwoods grind coffee ground fresh for every order delivered straight to your door backwoods grind coffee all right and you're going to want to check out spartan forge they are the sponsors of our live call-in number and our live video chat feature uh, Spartan Forge is an AI machine learning data-driven platform to help you figure out when deer are moving and how they're moving. And they're adding a F-ton of new features to their platform and launching uh, an application for Google and iOS on the horizon here. So be sure to go to SpartanForge.ai and use our discount code W2H for 20% off. Um, that 20% is still going to work when they do all these new features, but... Um, you know, they're going to raise prices to accommodate and cover for all of the money they're throwing at this thing. So if you get in there now, you're going to save yourself some money. You will be grandfathered in after the feature updates. So hurry, 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 seriously hurry. Um, but if not, you know, you can get there later too, and you can still save yourself the, the 20%. And, uh, cheers to drop time spirits, 12 point bourbon. This stuff is delicious and, uh, they're not letting us go dry here. So right there. Oh yeah, there's one. Yeah, that's the vodka. Vodka. They have yeah, they do have a vodka which is corn based, and mm-hmm. they do have a moonshine which is apple based. Yep. So, but I just like the bourbon the best because bourbon's best. Okay. Did you find any sheds? Nothing. Nothing. You've been out though. You were out in that swamp and that marsh. I, was, I wasn't really looking for sheds there. I know better. And very rarely are you going to find a shed in that haystack. <laughs> um, but I found some good bedding, uh, and that is way more valuable to me than the horns that are potentially hiding in the bottom of the muck okay so that white gold's brown gold up there brown gold up there <laughs> dark dark brown gold you found you're confident it's buck bedding so you're gonna drop cams or like this um, summer or what that is not a place to drop cams um, if i'm dropping cams they're gonna stay there until next year because i'm not <coughs> going in there and wrecking it oh now is the time if you're gonna go drop a cam for the season because they're kind of they're just starting to filter back into some of those bedding areas at least these ones that i would be potentially hunting so now would be the time to go drop cameras. 
with very large SD cards <laughs> and uh, lithium-ion batteries in them. Yeah, once the rain starts in April, good luck getting back there. Yeah. Uh, especially into some runs when you got mosquitoes swarming you and stuff. Oh, yeah, that's uh, that's mosquito and deer, deer fly haven. Yeah. No. Yuck, yuck, yuck. All right, we do have a guest with us today, everybody. Uh, we're talking today with Marcus Ewing of The Average Conservationist, which is a, a huge part of 2% for Conservation also, which OKS Hunter is also a member of. So um, I got the pleasure to talk with Marcus under the OKS Hunter brand. Um, when was that, like a couple months back or more than yeah, that? I think it was, pro- yeah, probably, Was I, I, I feel like it was late last year maybe. Uh, that's probably yeah, right. December or January. Yeah. 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 Everything's a blur, right? Nothing makes any sense right now. Yeah, that's <clears throat> that's the truth. <laughs> well, welcome to the show, man. This is we set the bar low. This is the OKS podcast, so you can swear, you can drink, you can trip up, you can, you know, have an internet problem. We're okay with all those things. So, you know, yours is much more well, high no, quality. Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on. Uh big fan of the show. I like the uh the fact that you guys kind of stayed it from the beginning, set the bar low, right? That's right. <laughs> but not not you're not the reason the bar is low. We're, we are the reason the bar is low. You're here yeah, to I'm help us. That's all right. You're exceeding our expectations already. So, um, where Marcus, where are you from? Uh, I'm from Michigan, uh, born and raised here. Uh, I <clears throat> I was uh, I grew up in northern Lower Michigan, uh, small small community, um, and then now I actually reside in Southeast Michigan. So for those familiar with the Midwest or even if they're not, uh, basically Metro Detroit area. Nice. I think, yeah. uh, deer hunter podcast isn't yeah. too far from there. Kevin Vestison's over that way. Yeah. I'm not sure, uh, exactly where he's at, but I mean, everything, uh, down by, by where I live is kind of, it's like, you know, half hour to an hour, regardless of, of where you're going, just because of traffic and everything. So, yeah, he's probably not too far from me. You guys should link up if you're close like that. That'd be a good one. Yeah, that's that's a good point. I never even considered that, really. And Kenyon's over there, too, right? Somewhere? You know, I'm not sure exactly where he is in Michigan. Um, but, yeah, I feel like I don't know if I would be uh, <laughs> really, uh, <clears throat> what's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, I don't know if I'm the kind of guest that he wants on his podcast, right? Well, maybe. I mean, you know, this is the qualifier for that one. I'm just kidding. <laughs> he was kind enough to grace us with his presence on our show. So yeah, a couple of times, actually. So he, he's um, very giving and very nice. So he was really helpful. He extended himself to us and said, do you guys ever need anything else? Like, let me know. I was like, wow, yeah, absolutely. And he said, kudos, by the way, which I was like, wow. Oh, tell me more, yeah. you know, coming from yeah, him. That like was he's kind that of was the neat. one that kind of broke the mold for a lot of, uh, you know, like white tail or, or hunting podcasts, or maybe it's just like, it's kind of the first one that I really started listening to, yeah. uh, when I, you know, kind of really got serious about white tail hunting and, you know, the fact that he's from Michigan, he's kind of around the same age. So there's a lot of those things that kind of draw a lot of us younger, uh, generation of hunters into, into his podcast and a lot of what he has to say. hundred percent. So, um, how long have you, you've been hunting for quite some time? You're out of Michigan. So I'm assuming you're public or do you have some private access out there? Uh, so uh, yeah, I, I started hunting at a pretty early age. Um, I couldn't even tell you the exact age, but I know I started hunting with a shotgun. Um, and where I grew up in Northern, Northern lower Michigan, um, there's no restrictions as far as, uh, like shotgun or rifle or or anything like that, like there is in, in the Southern half of Michigan. Um, so yeah, started at a young age on, 
primarily public land um, with my dad and my uncle and my grandpa. Um, and, you know, as I said earlier, I grew up in a small town. Um, so, you know, public land was 10 minutes away, right? It was kind of right out your back door. Um, so I did that for a long time. And then kind of as I got older and, and kind of where I'm at now as a hunter, um, I'm, I'm very fortunate that uh, my in-laws have uh, a decent chunk of land uh, that I'm able to hunt um, and have been doing that for probably the last seven or eight years uh, hunting on, on their land. So that's nice. That sounds like really nice. A little slice of well, uh, heaven there, huh? Well, let me, let me take a step back. So they, uh, they own a, a, a small parcel uh, that's about 40 acres and it used to, I mean, we would get like four or five hunters on this. And when I think about that now, it's like, you know, 40 acres, like you'd like to have one, two at the most on it, right? Not to blow it all out and everything like that. But we would just, I mean, that was all that we had. So we just, I mean, of course there's public, but you know, the group of us, we just, that was just what we did, especially like once rifle season came. And uh, over time, the the bordering property started a game reserve uh, around us. So you could like buy pheasants and you could deer hunt out there. And there was like some lakes that you could fish on and stuff. So as probably four years ago is when the, the company or that reserve kind of really took off. And I remember sitting in a tree stand um, like early bow season, so early October, and there's people bird hunting in like the adjacent field. And there's like BBs coming oh boy. <laughs> into like the field <laughs> that I'm in. Like I can hear them like hitting the trees around me or like the trees on the edge of the field that I'm in. It was kind of at that point where we're like, all right, we need to we need to find something else to do. And, um, so we were able to find another piece of property, uh, a lot bigger, um, just a lot more suited for, uh, you know, what we were looking to do. So we've been, uh, on that property for, uh, this was, this past season was our second full season on there. So nice. And did you know that information before you married your wife? Were you like, Oh, now I'm going to marry you. <laughs> <laughs> no. So it's funny when, uh, when we first started dating, um, I knew, uh, her brother, um, was pretty big into the outdoors and he's over the last, you know, half dozen or so years, he's kind of become like, like your hunting buddy, right? The guy that you, you shed hunt with, you do all the summer work with. If, if, if one of us is, is in the woods and the other one's not out there, it's something, something happened, right? Like something came up that you couldn't avoid. So we, we spend a lot of time together. Um, but no, she, the, the property that we hunt now, they did not have, uh, when we were, uh, when we first started dating. So I guess I got a little bit lucky in that regard. Nice. No, that's good to go. It's always a joke. You know, if you find out someone's got land, it's like, do they have a daughter? <laughs> when you're <Yeah>. younger. Like, <laughs> um, well, that's cool. So Michigan, uh, some public land growing up, private land now. So good mixture of both. And um, primarily whitetail from the sounds of it, your bow, gun, both. Yep. Yeah. I, you know, for the longest time, I only really ever gun hunted. Um, and then... I was probably uh, after I got shortly after I got out of college, um, I'd gotten uh, started to get into bow hunting. And even for the first couple of years, like I never really took it that seriously. I never practiced enough. I never did like the little things that you should do to you know prepare yourself to be successful uh, in the field. Um, and then, you know, when I met my brother-in-law and he was pretty big into archery hunting at the time and I just kind of fell, fell into it and became even more obsessed. I mean, I would I would much prefer to hunt with a bow than a gun, although I'm not <laughs> opposed at all to, to shooting a deer with a rifle either. Yeah, that's similar here. I started with a gun and 
got a bow in my hand. I was like, yeah, whatever, bow hunting, fine. And now it's a total obsession, and I would yeah. rather almost always bow hunt. And guns, like, it's like cheating now if you bow hunt that you much. Know, it, it feels like it. And, I mean, even, like, uh, how I was able to to get my deer this year, um, you know, I I had a very up and down, mostly down uh, archery season. Um, had some some pretty good encounters with some deer that would have been the biggest deer that I've shot. Uh, one, I just five hold. Um, well, not five hold. He ducked my, he jumped, he jumped the string, um, and right over his back. So it was a clean mist, uh, and then made a bad shot on a deer, uh, during the rut. And then finally was able to <laughs> close the deal, um, with my rifle, uh, in early December. So nice. Yeah, there's a couple that I wish if I had a gun in my hand, it would have been game over. But with a bow, it's just a different it's a different game you're playing. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's why I like it so much more is it's it's so much more difficult, right? And uh, I think it's it just takes a, a level of patience and preparedness um, that you don't necessarily need with a gun. I mean, you know, with a gun, obviously, you still need to to make a good shot and, and everything like that. But there's just, there's a big difference between 80 yards, hundred yards, 150 yards, then, you know, 15, 20. So, and that's, that's kind of what I like about it. I totally agree. Well, um, tell us a little bit about what you're doing, you know, with and or on behalf of 2% for conservation, what that organization is all about and the relationship you have there. And then we'll dive into, you know, your stuff, the average conservationist. So I think that'd be a good path. Yeah, so uh, I'm very fortunate uh, that uh, in June of last year, uh, partnered with 2% for Conservation. Um, the average conservationist is a 2% certified brand, just like the OKS Hunter. Uh, you know, for those listening, Eric, obviously you were on um, you were on my podcast a few months back, and um, yeah, it's just it's a great way to get the message out there um, about you know committee members. Uh, people who are involved with 2% from a personal side or from a business side and let people kind of hear, you know, why it is that conservation uh, is so important to them, whether it's personally or from a business standpoint. And, you know, when I had talked to Jared Frazier, the um, executive director at 2%, you know, he just wanted a platform. I mean, 2% is in terms of conservation organizations is only, I think, maybe five years old. So it's still kind of in the infant stages uh, as far as that goes. So really, you know, trying to spread the message and let people know what 2% is all about, um, which for those listening, um, 2% for conservation is where uh, businesses or individuals are donating 1% of their time and 1% of their income back to conservation, uh, really in kind of any way, shape or form, um, as far as the, uh, the hours go uh, and the hours. So it's, it's 21 hours a year. So whether you're, you know, a company of, you know, 100 or 10 or 15 or whether you're just one person, it still remains the same. It's 21 hours that you need to give back to, you know, really any type of, of work uh, in the field of conservation. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a great organization. Uh, there's so many great companies that are involved. And when Dan Johnson, um, the host of the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, and he's a board member for 2% for Conservation. He was the one that kind of set the wheels in motion for um, this podcast. Uh, I was a guest on his podcast uh, a little over a year ago. And when we got to recording, he said, you know, have you ever considered having uh, or starting a podcast about conservation? And of course, I was like, no. Like, why? <laughs> why would I want to start a podcast? You know, there's there's so many podcasts out there. And like, I can't even keep up with all the ones 
that you want to listen to. You know, there's not enough time in the day. So I'm like, I'm not just going to start a podcast, start a podcast. And he was like, well, you know, think about it, think about it. And uh, sometime between then and when uh, 2% came on board, um, he became a board member for 2% for conservation. And that's when he had kind of approached Jared and said, hey, you know, what about teaming up with these guys? Like just the the name of his company kind of fits with, you know, 2% for conservation and what they stand for. And, you know, you guys kind of do a, uh, a partnership in name and, you know, they, they are super generous and, and help introduce me to, to people to get on the podcast, whether it's, um, you know, individuals or it's, you know, some of these companies that you see out there. Um, so yeah, it's been a, a great relationship, um, you know, for the last eight months, I guess, almost nine. Wow. That's fast. I, I felt like you've been around longer than that. I didn't realize it had only been that much time. Yeah. So the podcast, uh, yeah, the podcast started in June, I think June 6th or 2nd or 1st, somewhere. <laughs> One of those days. The first week of June was our first episode uh, aired last year. Wow. Okay. That's crazy. Cause I'm thinking back to OKS Hunter and that started in the, well, the e-commerce store and the new website launched June 1st. So, okay. but the brand was around on like, you know, social media for um, a few months before that we got things kind of cooking, but that's crazy. You've done yeah, so much. You've talked to so many folks. Yeah. So uh, this week, uh, so our episodes come out every Thursday. Uh, so this week will be episode 42. Yeah, that's a lot in a short amount of time. Are you doing what, one a week? Yeah, one a week. Um, we have, we try to hit every week. Um, obviously this year, um, Christmas, Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve both fell on a Thursday. Yeah. Um, and then Thanksgiving, obviously always on a Thursday. So we opted not to air episodes on Thanksgiving and Christmas Eve of this year, or excuse me, of last year. And those are the only, the only days, uh, that we've, that we've missed. So that's like us. Well. We haven't missed much either. I think that was it. Oh. And I goofed on a day cause I double booked myself for something else recently. So, you know, it wasn't even a night off, unfortunately. You're good <laughs> at double booking it stuff. Happens. Yeah. Call me the double booker. It's just, there's a lot going on and you, you have these invites out, you know, sometimes, people don't get back to you and then all of a sudden they'll get back right around the same time. And it's like, shoot, there's three that I'm waiting to hear back from. And then they just yeah. land and it's like, well, I got to yeah, pick, I know you know, it's, too well how that it's tricky. Goes. It's um, tricky. I, yeah. Usually it ends up working itself out in the end, but yeah, there's been a couple of times where I'm like, I'll kind of set something in stone with someone who's been very prompt, very responsive. And then someone who I've emailed, you know, a week or two before they'll get back to me and they're like, Oh, Hey, by the way, yeah, tomorrow works great. Like, no, just, you know, send me a link, send me whatever you need to. And it's like, Okay, so you have to, you know, very politely ask the other person, hey, something came up. Can we uh, reschedule for next week or yeah. for tomorrow or something? So, yeah, the podcaster's dilemma for sure. And, <laughs> and you know, we're just a bunch of goofballs over here. So, but let's talk more about the the average conservationist and, you know, what that means to you. I, I think I want to really air this topic out for the duration of the show. And I'll post um, a link in the chat if anybody wants to hop in via video. We'll take. Uh, one at a time. If, if you are open to that and comfortable, feel free to jump in here and, and chat about conservation with us. You can also call in to the number on the screen, the 262-757-4122. But um, with that, you know, your podcast is, you know, the maxim is conservation. And so really at this point, I, I don't know, Greg, I'll let you kind of, you're more of a conservationist than I am by, by a lot. Uh, you, you are a big believer. You, you are a practitioner I am too, but you are just more, and I think you understand at a better level. So I would like to have you two talk about it more than me. Okay. 
You're really going to let me take the wheel of the ship here, huh? Well, you're not Jesus. Yeah, but, you let know. me preface this by saying I am. <laughs> I don't walk on water. Average conservation. See, you might be average here. We might be below average here. I don't know. I've, I've gone out and helped a couple of local organizations in my time. Um, you know, Waterfall Association, Wisconsin Waterfallers Association. So we did a bunch of work locally to where I live. And it, it involved like getting certif- chainsaw certified through the DNR. Um, okay. You know, cutting down bad trees that were blocking up waterways, cleaning up boat launches, um, building wood duck houses, building mallard nests, going out into the lakes and and putting these these nests nests and boxes up. Um, my buddy and I took his duck boat out on a lake that typically you can't take boats out, but we had like a a get out of jail free card from the DNR just to be able to go and remove all the floating cattail bog that were plugging up the, the canal. So canoers and, and kayakers and kids fishing could go out and do that. I mean, we've done a lot of stuff like that. What's uh, what's something that you've done? I mean, aside from, I mean, there's, there's a lot of things you can do for conservation, right? There's, you know, backbreaking work, which is kind of the stuff that I'm into doing. And then there's, you know, getting involved with raising money. The philanthropy or whatever. Yeah, the yeah. philanthropy of it. Yeah, so it actually works out pretty well. And, and like you were saying, Greg, like that's that's like the beauty of conservation, right? Is it's it's like this all encompassing thing where I mean you can pick up trash, you can, like you say, work on habitat restoration for waterfall. Um, I mean, like for, for me, a lot of like I mean, I, I definitely like to get uh boots on the ground when when I when I have the opportunity, right? I was uh you know, last year was kind of a, a rough year in terms of like a lot of cleanups and things like that, just because uh, COVID and all the restrictions, a lot of these organizations couldn't hold um, like events or, or anything like that. So last year was was tough. Uh, I was able to participate um, in a, a local watershed cleanup of a, a riverway that's uh, close to my house that um, is a tributary to, uh, well, one of the trout streams that I fish is a tributary to um, to this river. So I was able to go out there and, and spend a day uh, with a local organization cleaning up. Uh, but then a lot of the way that I like to try to um, kind of practice conservation, obviously, is through the podcast and helping um, people or helping other people spread the message um, about what they're doing. Um, because a lot of times the the work that these companies are doing is is on kind of a much larger scale, um, really, than what I'm uh, able to do on my own. Sure. It makes sense. Spreading the word is a big part of conservation. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I'm hoping that as this year goes on, that there will be, um, you know, more cleanups uh, and, and different things like that, um, where I'm able to, you know, get uh, get my hands dirty. And that's one of the, the bummer parts about, you know, where I'm at is a lot more of the, I feel like, bigger, bigger jobs or bigger things that, um, that you can do are, you know, quite a ways away, uh, from where I'm at. Um, so trying to, you know, just schedule things and and make sure that you can make it work. I mean, sometimes everything has to fall into place. Yeah. I hear you there. I mean, I get invites to go back with that group all the time and, you know, you find out that they're doing work five, six counties away. It's like, man, I don't have time to drive all the way up there just for a half day's worth of work and then come back. Yeah. Um, so I, I try to stick to my local events, but some of those guys are kind enough to come down and lend a hand, you know, from four or five hours away in some cases 
to to help clean up an area. So yeah, it's yeah, pretty important to those guys. Yeah, yeah, because it's uh, it's not a you know it, it, you're volunteering your time, right? So it's not like it's uh, you're going to get you're I mean you're going to get a pat on the back and add a boy, and you know that's that's what everyone and, and I don't think anyone that's there or participating really cares about that right no. like they all just have this this you know vested interest in whatever it is that they're they're working on whether it's uh you know restoration stream cleanup uh you know uh, improving habitat for upland birds or anything like that i mean it's they're there because they love you know potentially or presumably um you know chasing or trying to to hunt that animal absolutely you know through the okay's hunter and our partnership with two percent um, I, you know, have to get my hours in, right? The 1% of time, I, we're not committed all the way yet there. And so I have a, a business partner 50, 50 on that. And, you know, so between the two of us, we'll fill the, the bucket on those hours at 1%. But I was able to do, do some volunteering last year. Uh, yeah. Oh, was it this year or last year? See again. Now I don't know where we're at. Oh, it would have been last year. I think it was, it was, <laughs> yeah, it was after I shot my buck. So it was November, probably mid November. I took my daughter, my three-year-old daughter, and uh, we went and chopped up and cut down and removed buckthorn from a public property. And it was awesome. It was just great to yeah. get out. My daughter saw um, a, a barred owl in, in the tree, and it was just sitting there. And so we got to stare at it for like a while before I decided it was like, all right, I'm done with this. I'm going to fly off. But, <laughs> you know, like just being out there and having her with me was really great. And knowing that I was giving my time um, intrinsically was better than anything else. Like I just, it was, it was just good to get out and meet people that cared about the environment and were out there doing stuff. I was the only guy that was a whitetail hunter. So as I'm on the property, I'm like, is not a public access for hunting property. And it was a beautiful property. I'm like, there are deer out here. I found some huge rubs. I was like, Oh man, look at these freaking rubs. This is nuts. And I was like, too, that's not huntable, but they didn't care They they're like happy to be out there doing stuff for nature. So it was, it was cool. Yeah. And that's what I found, uh, in the one event I was able to participate in last year, uh, this, this local, uh, river cleanup, um, were the amount of people that stuff that came out. I mean, this is sometime during the summer. So I feel like everyone was still on, you know, kind of high alert with everything. And, mm -hmm. you know, they did a really good job at the time of keeping everyone distance and making sure everyone had face coverings and stuff like that. But I mean, there was probably, 50 or so people out awesome. there, uh, you know, on a Saturday morning cleaning up a river. And, you know, I'm willing to bet that over half of them don't fish or anything like that, you know, but they just, they, you know, whether they enjoy the, the, the area surrounding the river, they like to take walks up and down, you know, the path that leads along the river, whatever the case is, you know, they wanted to make sure that it was in its best possible, you know, shape and they were out there, you know, given their Saturday morning. So it was, it was awesome to see the, um, um, the multitude of, uh, I guess, of people or the, the diverse, uh, the diversity of people out there from, you know, outdoorsmen and outdoors women to probably some that, you know, they just like watching birds, right. You know, they don't really have an interest in what's in the water, just what's around the water. Sure. Yeah. Well, and like the rest of us, I mean, if they're using that area all the time to, to watch birds or kayak, canoe, fish, whatever, they get tired of seeing the garbage laying around. I know yeah. I do, and I'm constantly picking up garbage wherever I go, whether it's old beer cans from 10 years ago or whatever it is. You know, now's the time because it's everything, nothing, there isn't any green left. So you can see all that garbage and scoop it up pretty quickly. Yeah, and I don't think I've picked up so many cigarette butts in my oh, entire life terrible. as I did in that, in that first, in the first, you know, two hours um, 
of that cleanup. Yeah, it, it's unbelievable how people just, you know, that that smoke probably don't even consider that littering or, or anything like that. It's just <laughs> and away they go. Yeah, those don't biodegrade as quick as people think they do. Yeah. <laughs> There's a, I can't remember this guy's, I think it's Living Lands and Waters or something, this guy, Chad. He is like this renowned dude that's known for cleaning up rivers. And this is like a long, long time ago, like maybe late 90s, early 2000s. He was just out on some little boat himself and he'd go out every day and pick up trash. He just finally got sick of it. And he ended up kind of creating like a movement. I think CNN interviewed him and he was like some goofy, lanky kid. He's like, oh, I'm just out here picking up trash. You know, like, <laughs> you know, that's like the video watch. And fast forward to today and he's got several huge barges and a nation full of volunteers that go through and clean up rivers. And wow. they've cleaned up like metric tons of trash. And uh, it's quite the mission. It's really cool. I believe if I'm, I got to see him speak at a DNR event um, I think it's Living Lands and Waters, Okay, if I'm not mistaken. But it was like really cool. Yeah, that's what it is. I recognize the logo. It was really cool to hear his story and hear how much he had done. And it, it was like you wouldn't think much of some, some goofy kid on the Mississippi picking up trash. But enough people seen him doing it, and he stayed consistent with it and just kept trying to get bigger and bigger. And he would take any donations he would get from some bigger companies and then he would take that money and buy a bigger boat so he could co- scoop up more trash. And he just lived on the water. He didn't have much to, you know, he didn't have like a, a lifestyle that needed a lot of supporting. So that was like his thing. It was really cool. I'll, I'll share a link in the um, comments here. But you know, that that's like a, that's why it matters to do this kind of stuff. Because one yeah. person can make an impact. And your tagline that Greg called out in the beginning or before we were recording was, conservation starts with you. That's like the best example I can think of that shows just how important one person is. Yeah, I mean, it's as simple as tucking your cigarette butt in your pocket rather than chucking it on the ground or, you know, carry in, carry out kind of stuff. Yeah, it's amazing what what one person and the the passion for, uh, you know, or the drive for a mission that they have, what they're able to accomplish, they just stick with it, right? I mean, I'm, I'm... I'm willing to bet that, you know, throughout the course of from where he started, you know, on a, maybe a little fishing boat to, you know, these huge barges, there was a lot of, you know, shit he had to overcome and everything like that. But, you know, if you just stick to it and you, you, you know that, you know, your kind of mission or your end goal is going to be far greater and it's going to feel so much better than, you know, a rough day or a rough week or a rough month or whatever it is. If you just keep your head down and keep doing the work and eventually more people are going to see, you know, the passion that you have for it. And it's stuff like that is contagious, man. Like people just, when they, when people I find see like a, a small group or an individual that's, that's doing something that's having this kind of profound difference, you know, whether it's in conservation or anything else in life, like people want to be around that, right? Like people are gravitated towards those type of people. And it, it's amazing, right? Like you said, what it's almost like a rags to riches conservation story, you know, from what this guy's been able to do. Yeah, no, it definitely is. And and I think he's just rich with joy from the difference he's been able to yeah. make and the impact he's had. I mean, you yeah, see, I can't even imagine the amount of wildlife he saved by picking up all that trash. Yeah, it's it was cool to see. So that's definitely a good example. I mean, you know, the impact I'm making is is minimal, but it's cool because I'm thinking about. The revenue like OKS Hunter has generated so far and 1% of that is going to go to 2%. Um, and it's going to go to the organizations that, that we identified and picked. So we're going to get to write a check to um, a nonprofit in June or like shortly before that. And 
how exciting for them. They can use that money to acquire more public lands in like not my backyard, um, literally, but like, you know, kind of my backyard. So an area that I live and play in is going to have improvement because of something that like I cooked up, right? That was like an idea. And now it's yeah. like can be something and there's a mission behind that. So roping it into conservation is that makes me feel intrinsically rewarded by that where it's just there's a greater good there. It's not just some self-serving thing. It's it's bigger yeah. than that. Yeah, and it's such a great feeling, like you said, like to know that you're able to, especially like last year, right? As and so many of these conservation organizations were just like crushed with, you know, not having all of these like outdoor shows or fundraisers, banquets, all that stuff that they rely on year after year to to bring money in, you know, to to go to these projects that they're running, but also to like you know, for their overhead, you know, because even though they're a nonprofit, I mean, they still have employees and, you know, they, they have bills to pay. Right. So, you know, to be able to give back whatever it is, you know, the 1%, you know, whatever is huge, man. And it's like, when I first had, when I made my first donation, you know, like it's, it, it was a really cool feeling, even though I don't know how excited they were. It wasn't, it was a very small donation, but it was, Hey, it was something right. And I was like, I was on cloud nine doing that. And, you know, as I've gotten into things further and kind of, uh, I let kind of on, you know, things that I'm passionate about in, in terms of conservation and the organizations that I like to work with that I really support what they're doing. Um, you know, those are the, that's even like way more gratifying for me because you see how excited they are and you know to partner with them and to be able to give back and especially you know here in michigan to be able to keep a lot of those conservation dollars uh here where i spend you know a vast majority of my time recreating is it's a really good feeling yeah i agree what do you think your definition of conservation is i feel like it's kind of a hard thing to define (sighs) man you'd think i'd be prepared with something like with a question (laughs) like that uh You know? I think you asked me, I was like, shit, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I don't, it's, I don't know that there is like a great definition, right? I think it's just doing whatever it is that you can to leave something better than you found it. Right. Or to make sure that it's in the same condition. Well, no, because sometimes you find stuff in, 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 in shitty condition. Right. So I think it's, yeah, it's doing whatever you can to, to leave uh, the habitat or the wild places that we're in uh, in a better position than what we found them. Because, you know, what really kind of sparked like all of this for me and was, you know, I, I lost my father uh, almost like 11 years ago. And that was kind of what drove me like back into the outdoors as much as I was when I was younger, because you know, kind of taking a step back here, but you know, like in high school and then in college and stuff like that, like it, it hunting and fishing, like all that stuff just kind of took a backseat, right? Like there's just, and you guys know how it is. There's just, oh, yeah. you, you, there's so many other things you want to do, you know, girls, friends, sports, all that stuff. So it's like when the weekend comes around, you know, your dad's like, yo, like, let's, uh, let's go out and, you know, steal that fish or, you know, let's go, uh, you know, whitetail hunting, you know, tomorrow morning or something like that. It's like, no, man, like I, I, I played a basketball game last night or something like that. Or I want to go out with my friends. Like, I don't want to get up and, and do that. And then, you know, when that's not there anymore, it kind of, like sparks this uh, like nostalgic feeling inside. Right. And then you start to think back on, you know, all like the lessons that, you know, whoever it is that got you introduced to the outdoors instilled in you and made you love it and want to do those things. And that was kind of what flipped it for me was like, man, and then I had kids 
And, you know, I just can't imagine a world where they're not able to experience the same things that I am, whether they want to hunt or they want to fish, but at least to have that opportunity um, is huge. And I just couldn't imagine them not having that, you know? Right. Really, conservation is about paying it forward. I think that's probably the simplest way to sum it up, pay it forward. Yeah, that's, no, that's, that's spot on. Absolutely. Yeah. And we talked earlier about some of the people that are making a big impact you know, from an influencer perspective, I think Sam Soholt's one that sticks out to me, probably wow. most, like, when you talk about paying it forward, uh, he's done just such a magnificent job of using his platform for good and, and also, like, deploying a good chunk of creativity to the methods in which he takes. Um, I just think he's he's done a, just a super good job. But we we all can't be that, and, and, you know, it's not that you would ever want to compete with it to begin with, but you know, he's taken a path down life that is living a life that's, I think, really fulfilling for him. Um, and there's others too. We, Randy Newberg and some others that I don't know. Ranella, Shane Mahoney. I mean, yeah. Shane Mahoney, mm-hmm. if you want to, you want to just listen to someone tell a story or talk, that's a, a pretty good voice to listen to. Mm-hmm. Shane Mahoney, I've yeah, heard the name. And Ranella, gosh, he, he's done, say what you will about the guy. I know people have different opinions, but he's reached more non hunters than anybody in the space that I can think of. That's tried to bridge the gap and actually yeah. succeed. I mean, getting that show on Netflix was a, a big freaking deal. Putting out those cookbooks is a big deal and he's done a great job. Um, yeah. And, and going back to what you, what you had mentioned about Sam. So obviously there's a lot of similarities in uh, public land tees, uh, Sam's company and then the average conservationist, my company. And like, when I decided to start the average conservationist, I mean, that was, I had this idea. I was like, Oh, you know, like I like shirts. I like hats. Like, yeah, like let's start an apparel company, right? Like how hard can it be? You know? Sure. And I knew some people that were, uh, that worked like for apparel companies that did like screen printing and embroidery, like all, all that stuff. Right. Like, and, uh, so I started like doing some research. Um, and that's when I came across public land tees. Um, so I remember like reaching out to Sam and just being like, Hey, you know, this is who I am. This is what I'm, you know, I'm starting a company called this. It's similar to yours. Like, you know, I, it's almost like, Hey, don't be mad at me that I'm starting a company like yours. Right. Like I know you've been doing this. And then you said, I'm going to, I'm not going to buy a bus. I'm going to buy a train car. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, But you made a very good point where like, you can't compare yourself to to guys like Sam because I mean, first off, Sam's an awesome dude. Like I was, able to have him on the podcast and I've talked to him a few other times and the he's very reachable that guy has is is incredible right I mean he's got this new project that he's going to come out with that he told me about that he hasn't launched yet so I'm not going to say anything but it's just you know after he told me I'm like shit man how did you come up with that like that's just such a great idea and you know the stamp it forward project that he did and you know the money that he's raised for for waterfowl and for wetlands and everything like that over the last two years is for one person is incredible. I mean, I think it's upwards of like 65, almost $70,000, like just on his own with his stamp it forward thing. So yeah, guys like that are, you know, people who change the culture uh, in terms of conservation and really change the conversation, I think too. So yeah, uh, those guys are definitely ones to look up to in terms of conservation. Absolutely. Like right when he started doing that stamp it forward program, like he started it and then we had him on our show but I remember going, what are you up to? And he just, 
out of the blue, he's like, here, call me. He sends me his phone number <laughs> through Instagram. So I call him like, dude, what's up? It's like, hey, this is what's going on. So he, he filled me in on the whole deal. I'm like, that's pretty sweet. Yeah, spread the word, you know, and then he off and running. So yeah, he's he's good yeah. at like saying what he's gonna do and then doing it. Yep. He's an he's an executor. He he can execute a plan like getting that bus is a big deal and outfitting and now the van um yep. and their plans for everything with all of that. It's just like it's it's a way to garner attention and get people to stop for a second, like, whoa, what's going on here? And once they do that, now you have their ear and then your message can actually resonate. So his campaign style is just it's fantastic. And he's got a lot of flexibility and a lot of relationships that he's built that he can leverage and cash in on some of the social equity that he's generated. So when it's come time to like do something, he can reach out to these brands and be like, hey, can you hook us up with ABCD? And they're like, sure thing, Sam, because he's proven that he's reliable in doing things like that. So they'll get the exposure. And then as a result, he'll feed it back into conservation. It's freaking awesome. Yeah. And, you know, I think like that's and I think, you know, I like what you see from Sam is what you get, right? Because social media is kind of how most of us interact, right? With with people who we don't know on a day-to-day basis. Right. But, you know, and I was telling us like, Sam, like, I don't know what you're doing, but you literally just told people like, hey, send me $25 to my personal Venmo account or my PayPal and I'll take care of the rest, right? And people are just like flooding him <laughs> with money. So it's like, he's certainly built like some some good equity and some trust with, you know, everyone out there. I mean, hell, I donated to it, right? Like, but when I when I first did, like I didn't know Sam from you know from me from, from anyone except for what I've you know seen on social media. So yeah, like there's just you know he's going to do good with it, and you want to be a part of it. Absolutely, it's good stuff. I mean, there's there's a lot of folks doing good. I mean, Greg, you're talking about like doing the backbreaking work and getting your license to operate a chainsaw from the DNR, and um, all it is is a program. You go through a couple hours worth of what to do, what not to do, how to what gear you have to have, a certain type of saw, the brake has to work. There's all these hoops you jump through, but the guy that's there has been out in the field and screwed up and knows what works and what doesn't. Then you get your certificate, and then you go to work. Then then the, the real work begins. Mm-hmm. I learned how to hinge cut trees. I learned how to wedge cut trees. It, it, I learned a lot of stuff. You Those know. are good skills to have. Oh, so you yeah. can build me a log cabin yeah. one day. Well, I can drop a tree and hopefully not hit your log cabin. <laughs> Even more important. Even more important. <laughs> that's pretty funny. Oh man. So what else do you got going on? Like how, how has it been for you without trade shows for you? Um, you talk about that impacts a lot of the nonprofits, but like trade shows, like, okay, Hunter was going to do a, a circuit and then we didn't cause COVID happened. So, um, you know, what are you doing? What's on the horizon? I saw you've dropped some new designs. They look really fresh. I, I love them already. So oh, maybe, you. yeah, tell us what you got going on. Yeah. So obviously, um, so last year I was able to participate in two trade shows. I was literally had my truck packed, on a a Wednesday night and I get a call Thursday morning, like two hours before I'm supposed to leave that they canceled the show that I was on my way to. So that was, you know, like second week of March, maybe mid March, something like that. Um, when obviously the world ended a year ago, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Almost, yeah. Almost probably to the day. And I was fortunate enough to get those first two in and that, that really helped because, you know, like, like, you know, with OKS Hunter, you know, any, type of retail company knows that like the first quarters it's always tough right like especially after the holidays like people just aren't spending money like they typically do you know in the spring and then summer and then obviously the holidays so the first part of this year has been has been tricky to overcome um in terms of trying to to balance not having trade shows um with 
you know, still maintaining um, some level of, of success in terms of sales and things like that and, and raising money. Um, but yeah, like you said, we just uh, had a couple new shirts come out uh, this week. Uh, one that I'm pretty excited about uh, is a collaboration we did with uh, the local chapter of the National Deer Association here in Michigan. Um, made uh, I, I donated to um, the QDMA uh, previous previously the QDMA uh, last year and, and one of the uh, like the local uh, chapter president or chapter chair I'm not sure regional excuse me uh, Josh Hilliard regional director there um, we had met and, and had lunch and, and talked about some stuff and talked about potentially doing uh, like a collaboration uh, this year so was really excited uh, when we kind of got the ball rolling on that so. Um, yeah, that came out, uh, the mentor tee. So we wanted to kind of design something that was, um, that spoke to the mission of the national deer association, um, and really kind of what they stand for and what they're trying to, uh, really promote, uh, excuse me, promote, uh, with, uh, whitetail hunting and habitat improvement and the mentors, uh, cause they have obviously, I think the, the field to fork program, a lot of these great programs to get people involved. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited about, about that and, and helping raise some money for, uh, NDA here in Michigan. That's great. And so without trade shows, you're obviously, you know, you have an online presence. Have you taken some of the trade show dollars that you would have expended and put that into ad dollars? Or what did you do to kind of like stay afloat with everything? Yeah. So I actually, I've, I've done that. I've put some into advertising and then I've put some kind of back into like newer, fresher designs. Uh, like you saw another shirt that I came out with, uh, what I call the scout tee. Oh yeah. That uh, one's is, dope. That, is that the, like the, yeah, the truck? Yeah. That's the one. Yeah. I've gotten a lot of good feedback. Like so many people are like messaging me and we're like, Oh man, like the scout was the first vehicle I had, or, Oh, it's my favorite. You know, if I could have any vehicle, it would be right. the scout. The ultimate so adventure cool vehicle. See, like, it kind of, yeah. It's cool to see it kind of hitting a different, uh, there's not the right word, but it just, it kind of, it's got a different vibe to it than, than a lot of the other stuff that I've had. There's a lot more color to it. Um, so I'm kind of excited about that one to see, uh, to see where it goes. And then I've already, I've got some other ones kind of, um, waiting in the wings at the right time of year to, to release those and everything. So yeah, I'm excited about what the year has, um, to offer. I'm going to take part in the total archery challenge here in Michigan. Uh, I have a booth set up there. So looking forward to that and, and seeing everyone that, you know, you know how it is with social, excuse me, social media, you, you know, exchange messages with people and things like that. So to be able to, to meet some of these guys face to face will be, uh, will be nice. Yeah. It's, I always liken it to, uh, you know, in grade school when you had a pen, well, I mean, back in my day, at least I'm an eighties kid. So we had pen pals and at some point you got to meet your pen pal and it was like, yep. Oh man, there you are. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, I guess we're friends, but like, I don't, now I know, you know, you, you know, it's like a weird, it's kind of like this awkward thing. So certain people you, you end up like, really clicking with and others you're like oh good to meet you you know it's good to meet you in person that's yeah. kind of it but there's some folks where it's like and look at me and greg you know we we met over the podcast and he was a listener and and here we are uh, best pals talk every day he's here on tuesdays with me and we're doing the show together now so it's like yeah you can make some real friendships doing this stuff it's pretty cool yeah and and that's that's one of the things i think that i've really enjoyed the most about starting the average conservationist podcast is just these cool ass people you get to talk to from all over the country. Right. I mean, you know, I've, I've been, I haven't been able to like take anyone up on it, but you know, I've uh, a gentleman down in Savannah, Georgia offered to have me come down and whitetail hunt with him. Uh, I've had some people like out West say, Oh yeah, come out for a mule deer hunt or an elk hunt, or, you know, you can come crash with me. We can hunt for three or four days. Like there's been a lot of like invitation, like kind of open invitations extended. Um, that's awesome. I mean, 
my family just we just bought a new dog uh, last week that I bought from someone who I had on the podcast who's, uh, whose company is 2% certified. So it's kind of a, a small world how, how that worked out. I drove to northern Pennsylvania, damn near New York, to get this dog. So, Oh, congrats, man. What, what kind of dog? Uh, it is a... It's a lab, but it's a fox red lab. Fox colored Labrador. Those are nope. really beautiful looking animals. That's what Tyler's dog yeah, is. Yeah, I'm, I'm a huge. That- like when I first saw it, because we have a we have a black lab currently, but when I saw that red, I, I told my wife, I was like, uh, "So do you remember this guy I had on the podcast? Well, he's got <laughs> a couple, you know, red labs that are going to have puppies, and I think I want to get one." <laughs> are you going to train yeah, him for earlier. hunting or anything like that? Yeah, that's that's the plan. Yep. You should check out our you friend's know, uh, podcast, Off Lead Podcast, uh, by Gun Dog Outpost. Okay, yeah, for sure, because I'm going to need all the help I can get with he's that. He's a, a good trainer. He's he's you actually are. the co-owner of of um, OKS Hunter. So, okay, right on. Yeah, he's he's training dogs like every day. <laughs> he's like, yeah, really? he, yeah, he works on basic obedience to, I don't know, the he, platforms and and the retrieving, and and his yeah. dog's got like. His dog's got all sorts of crazy degrees. It's yeah, nuts. I don't even know the level or depth that that dog is certified for. <laughs> He's always yeah, hunt testing with them. Yeah, and growing up, we had a lab that my dad used to do a lot of waterfall hunting with, and was, from what I can recall, I mean, it was I was pretty young at the time, um, but it was a very, very trained dog. You know, from again what I can remember, you know, the whistles, the hand signals, you know, all that stuff. It was it was a great dog. Um, I think that's kind of what makes me want to get into waterfall hunting. I mean, I did it for a short period of time, you know, when I was a kid. And then it's just, there's a lot that goes into it, right? Between oh, the yeah. decoys, the dog. Decoys, you know, dog, boat, boat. Yeah. calling. I mean, you don't need to call yeah. a lot. You'll, you'll learn that the hard way eventually. But <laughs> <laughs> I had a, I had a blast with the two. I had a lab also, and he was phenomenal. And I, I didn't go that in-depth with the training. It was like, he knew what to do. Gun went up, gun went bang, duck started to fall. He was on it. And, and, you know, and I could tell him to sit and stay and, and stay in his spot, and he would. And there's some days where he was just so wound up. is like, no, nah, I'm going to get it, even if it's not dead, you know. But he was a good dog for me. He was my first dog I ever duck hunted with, and he pheasant and grouse nice. hunted well, too. So, Yeah, well, and that's what I'm hoping to be able to do with this one is is do some upland hunting as well. Yep. I mean, Multi-purpose. gentleman I bought from, his, you know, his lab points you know it doesn't just flush birds i mean it, it actually points really well cool so I'm, I'm hoping that there's a little bit of that in this one that's cool yeah i know very little about that stuff but i'd say yeah tell people where they can find you i'm gonna do a screen share here for those that might be watching um so yeah go ahead and, and tell people where to get at some of the stuff that you have um yeah check out the uh, the average conservationist.com uh very simple uh it's the same the average conservationist on facebook the average conservationist on instagram yeah there you go there's a couple couple of new shirts that we just came out with. So, yeah. Yeah, this is and, that. Uh, the... If you have any questions on sizing, uh, anything like that, feel free to, you can reach me through the website. You can shoot it on, you know, any of the social media platforms. I'm usually pretty good about uh, responding within a day or so. Cool. Good stuff. Your designs are great. Who Do you have uh, a particular company or person that does your designs? You don't have to name them or anything. I'm just curious that they're really uh, good. Yeah, so... I've, I've kind of went a few different routes uh, with getting the, like the ideas for the designs are all mine. Um, I'm not a graphic designer by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but usually I can kind of relay to uh, the gentleman who I've been working with recently, uh, what I'm looking for, uh, what I like, and then he can, you know, uh, back and forth two or three times. And we can usually kind of settle on, on something that, uh, that 
that we both or well that I like. Um, <laughs> yeah, so yeah a good relationship. And one of the uh, one of my um, old uh, college buddies um, owns a uh an apparel company so he, they do screen printing and, and all that stuff uh so i go through him to get all that stuff done he's right here in michigan as well so works out well that's cool that's Sweet. a good yeah you got a good thing going man it's great i think you know the cause is awesome you you have good reach you're you're meeting good people um the show is is quality you know and, and the apparel is, is great that the designs you have are really cool looking oh thank you yeah and for those that, that don't know yet, 10% of all sales are going back to, um, to conservation as well. So that's, that's part of how, uh, that's, that's the, the financial part of, of the average conservation is to become 2% certified. So you don't make any money at all. Then you're just not much <laughs> no margin left for you, man. <laughs> so my wife is like, um, should we increase the prices a little bit? Like, I don't think we're making much money. I was like, you don't worry about that. I got this under control. <laughs> Dancing at night somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> you see these flannels? These are the real money makers. Right when they come off. Yeah. <laughs> One button at a time, sweetheart. Oh boy. No, that's good stuff. I think um, you know, with that, you know, go support conservation in whatever way that you can, whether that's buying products for companies that, that are giving back, whether you want to, you know, chart a path to become the next Sam Soholt and buy a school bus. Um, you know, start some company that gives back or like, you know, go do some labor in the field, uh, bring your kids with you. If you got them, you know, get them into it also, if, if they're willing and able and enjoy it. And there's a lot of ways that you can kind of contribute. Yeah. Yeah. No, well, I appreciate you guys having me on. It was, it was great talking with you. And, you know, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there, right? Like there's, there's so many things that you can do, whether, you know, it's, it's buying, you know, something from the OKS hunter from the average conservationist or just getting involved, uh, you know, in a local conservation organization, you know, every, every little bit helps. Yeah. Even buying tags. If you don't even intend on using them, buy the tag anyways, you can go buy a waterfall yeah. tag. You don't have to use waterfall it. stamps pay for more than what everybody really realizes. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's a big one. Yeah. yeah. So thanks for, for guessing tonight. It, it goes by quick per usual. And uh, we're going to go ahead and end the live broadcast, but this will be in podcast land this evening. So thanks everybody. Thanks for tuning in. What's up, everyone? Anthony Heller here with Deervane, and this week's tip of the week revolves around the almighty shed hunting. So uh, I am now by no means an expert in shed hunting, but I talk to a lot of people about it and a lot of people who find a lot of sheds. And the general consensus from them is, is A, look in food sources, B, look in bedding areas, and C, look in the trails going to and from those food sources. Um, food sources are pretty obvious, picked corn, uh, picked corn, standing soybeans. And the big thing about, about shed hunting is that there are properties that set up extremely well for shed hunting because of the food source. So if you're driving down the road by your property every night or, or every other day or every weekend or whatever, and you're never seeing deer out in the fields that your property has, or the property that you're going to be shed hunting, odds are you're probably not going to find sheds there, right? I mean, there's fields that I drive by that are just loaded with deer. And I know people who shed hunt them and they're like, yeah, I just walk out there and I find 10, 15 sheds every year. Well, that's because the deer spend all the time there. So there are properties. If you're not finding sheds on your property, your property just might be a poor wintering property. So deer just don't spend a lot of time there. Um, so the food sources are, are numero uno, certainly by far and large. And if, you, if you're if you looking at pieces of public, try to find pieces of public with ag fields on them 
or that are near ag fields because then you could go to option b which is bedding areas so you a lot of times if properties are just ag you can sneak off on a public because there is no ag on the public and that might be the deer's bedding areas and now you're looking in those bedding areas you're gaining that knowledge from information and scouting plus looking for those sheds and hopefully hopefully finding a few. The other big thing about bedding areas is, is if you are in hill country, those south-facing hillsides, those tend to hold a lot more uh, deer in the winter just because the sun beats on them, they stay warmer, um, they can generally get out of the north, a, a typical north wind, um, a south-facing hillside shields them from that, so it's just a generally a warmer area for them. And then lastly, those trails to and from the food sources, on those... Really, you just got to get lucky. <laughs> there isn't a whole lot else to go on there. All right, so that's it. Those are my three my uh, three tips for shed hunting. Hope it helps, everyone. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in to another episode of the Word Hunt Podcast. We appreciate it a whole bunch. Uh, good conversation with Marcus, uh, the average conservationist. I think we all contribute to conservation as outdoors men and women. And, uh, you know, there's always more that maybe you could be doing, but it's, it's just a good topic overall. It's one that, you know, I enjoy talking about quite a bit. So I'm glad that he was able to come on as our guest. Uh, next week, we're talking with Jason of Timber Ninja Outdoors. We're going to be talking about some of the equipment that he has, some of the gear, what they're up to, what they're producing, etc. And then uh, no guest after that. And then heading into April, we're going to be talking with Bo Martonic with the East Meets West podcast. Um, so good, good lineup. Uh, if there's any topics you want to hear about or things that we should be touching on, I know turkey season is like just about here. So we'll get into some of those things as well. Turkey calls, um, turkey hunting, turkey tactics, all of that stuff, turkey talk, whatever. And uh, our giveaway day is coming up very, very soon. Also, we'll drop some announcements. Hopefully next week, I'll have the announcements for you guys on Tuesday and gals, um, which will be good. There, there's some good stuff there. So if you're part of the Where to Hunt giveaway day or giveaway, uh, it's through our Patreon page. You can get there by going to wheretohuntapp.com and then click on giveaways and then you can sign up through Patreon. It's five bucks a month. We take the cash from Patreon and we use that to get gifts um, for our giveaway. So most people get to win. We usually try to spread the love and, and do a number of gifts so that the participants all have a good, good odds of winning. Usually it's 50% or more, like 50% or more of the folks in there are going to win something. So when we try to make them good, you know, useful, practical gifts. So with turkey season around the corner, I have a sneaking suspicion we're going to be doing some turkey stuff. So if you want to participate in that, you can go ahead and uh, go to the giveaway page and sign up. So that's how that works. And uh, I think that's all I have for everybody today. So until next week, have a great day and hunt public.